are closing out this week our series in the book of Proverbs. And it has been, uh, we have been invited throughout the last several weeks through, through this feast of wisdom that's available for us. And we're invited to come to the table of wisdom and see what God's word has for us in the various kind of facets of our life that we're looking at. And this morning we're going to be talking about friendships. And we're going to ask uh, of the Bible and specifically of the book of Proverbs, what does it say to us about being wise as we make friends and as we be friends that way? Uh, the social scientists will tell us that, uh, that friendship is having a little bit of a trouble. In fact, a recent survey showed that among Americans in particular, we are three times more likely than we were 10 years ago to report having zero close friends. Three t I mean, in an era when social media is going off the charts, everyone's connected to more people more broadly and more distantly than ever before, we're three times more likely to have no close friends. And that's a problem because friendships matter. We're designed to have friends. Any of us that have ever experienced those seasons of loneliness where, where we just couldn't connect with that friend and have someone who's close to us to share our life with. We know that that loneliness even speaks to there's this innate desire that we just know we were made for friendship. We were made for a close relationship and friendship with others. And when it's not there, we recognize that it's missing. But there's more going on with friendship than just kind of our own sense of need. That's part of it. But beyond that, when we look to the perfect example of what humanity is supposed to be, the person of Jesus Christ, we see that friendship was a part of his social structure as well. It's not just that we need friends because we feel bad without them. It's that we were designed for relationship and designed for friendship, and Jesus reflects that. Like us, he had a, he had a circle of people that were, that were pretty distant. He had crowds that would come to see him that he couldn't possibly know every one of their names and every one of their faces and know what was going on in their life. He had that group. And then he also had a group that was a little closer in, right, that would... Uh, people who would more consistently come to more of the things that he was doing. And, and these, they, they would follow him from place to place. And that number was smaller than the crowds, and so he's probably more familiar with them, but probably not at the detailed, intimate places of their life. And then he had the 12 that he hand-selected, and he said, over the course of three years of ministry, these are the people that I'm going to really invest myself in, that I'm going I'm to make it my role and part of my... Uh, part of my ministry to prepare these people for what God wants to do in them. I want to take as much life and insight and godliness as I have and pour it into them so that they can keep that moving forward. And they were his friends as well. But then even within those 12, he had three that seemed he was even closer with than, than the 12. And they kind of showed up at all the real significant moments in his ministry at the Mount of Transfiguration and at other places. And uh, this was Peter and James and John. And then even among those three, the scripture lists John as the disciple whom Jesus loved and seemed to indicate that, that he had one disciple that he was even closer with than all of the others. And, and Jesus' experience here is probably not a whole lot different than yours and mine, right? We have people who are kind of out at a distance that maybe we recognize them, maybe we don't. Maybe they're in our class at school and we know they're there, but we've never really interacted with them. Maybe closer to home, we have people that we work with People, we know their names, we interact, we know a little bit of their story, but maybe not as much. And then there's, then there's the people we hang out with, kind of our crew, the people we run with. We know what's going on. These are our friends. And then hopefully, by God's grace, we have somewhere in the middle of that maybe one or two people 
And we just feel like there's a heart connection there that goes deeper than that. They're a great friend, and we can trust them and rely on them. These things are necessary. God created us for these kinds of relationship. And we see them lived out in the life of Christ, and hopefully we get to see them lived out in our life as well. And so we come to the book of Proverbs, where Solomon, King Solomon, wise and everything else, kind of looks out and he assesses the landscape of humanity and human experience, and he just makes these observations about things that he sees. And sometimes when he's speaking about friendship, he, said, he says um, some really powerful things about friends and how good friends are and how good friends relate. And then sometimes one of the, uh, what he observes are some times where people who are friends, who maybe should have acted better, should have acted differently, but they don't live up to the true value or the true ideal of what a friend should be, he recognizes that and says, that happens too. And so as we listen to Solomon's words here this morning, we understand that it, sometimes he's talking about the truest, deepest kind of friend, and other times he's speaking of kind of the false friend, and we have to discern. And so we, we understand that sometimes he's identifying for us in these Proverbs these things that are friendship breakers, things that they may appear to be something that your friends are doing, but they're going to destroy a friendship. But then you'll see some friendship makers on the other side, the things that make a friendship really go. And here's my challenge to us this morning. We tend to listen to a message like this and say, okay, I'm going to let this message decide for me the kinds of friends I should be looking for. This is going to be the interpretive grid that I look out and say, should I allow you a step deeper into my life to become a closer friend? And there's wisdom in that. That's part of the wisdom that scripture gives us here, to be sure. But probably a little more important than how can I make sure that I get the right set of friends would be the question to ask ourselves, how am I doing as a friend in view of what Solomon observes? I want to invite you to hear what's coming as a chance to evaluate you and the way that you interact with your friends and in your relationships and ask the question, is it possible that the Spirit of God might be touching my heart to say, it's not your friends that need to change. It's not your friends that need to grow. It's not your friends that need to improve. Maybe there's some places where you can grow and improve as well. So with that said, let's dive into uh, some of those friendship breakers that uh, Solomon comes up against. He's this wealthy, influential observer. He sees friendship. Here we go. One of the things he sees in friendships that destroys them, the friendship breakers, is when people are self-serving. When, when they are in a relationship for what they can get out of it. Have you ever had that experience where you just feel like this person's around and they behave like a friend and they act like a friend and they say they're my friend and yet I just get this sense that they're in this friendship, not because it matters to them, not because they care for me, but, but there's, like, they're using me to get something else that they need. This is what Solomon had to say about that particular experience. He says that the poor, and he's speaking of people who are into friendships because they get some monetary gain out of being with someone who has resources. The poor are shunned even by their neighbors. But the rich, he observes, seem to have many friends. He looks around and says, wow, the rich people have no, no trouble getting friends because people think that there's something that they can get out of that. He says the same thing a slightly different way a little later on where he says, wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of the poor person deserts them. And I hope you hear his tone of voice as he's saying that. He's saying, this is what I observe and this is not good. This is not the way that that's supposed to play out, and that's not the way that friendships are supposed to work. 
I don't know. And we're kind of conditioned sometimes. If, you, if you've had that experience of someone just befriending you because there was something you had that they wanted, you can get a little defensive about that and tend to keep people out at arm's length. Right? We talk a lot about a church about this calling that we have to reach into our community and to love people and to share the gospel with them. We use the, the, the acrostic of blessed to kind of outline for us some of the ways we can do that. Right? If you remember, we talk, it starts with beginning with prayer and praying for people then listening to their story, then taking time to eat a meal and to share, and to share that time and the, and the meal with them, and then to serve them, to find out where their needs are and to be a part of addressing that need in a proactive way, and then eventually getting to share the story of what Jesus has done in our life. And that's, we, we use that model of, of, of stepping into relationships with people for the purpose of sharing the gospel. I don't know about you, but sometimes as you've engaged that process, you've probably encountered a like, kind of a spirit of cynicism, like, hold on, what are you really after here? Why are you really investing in me? Do you really want to serve me? And the reason people are so cautious and so skeptical about that is because there really aren't enough places in their life, there aren't enough people in their life who are others-oriented, who are Seeking first to say, what can I invest in this person and in this relationship, not what can I get back out of that relationship. And we'll probably never do a better job than if we stand out in our community as people who really just invest in relationship because we care about people and don't want anything back in return. If our hearts are pure, if our motives are pure, if we'll do that, it'll confuse people at first. But over time, as they see that that's real and as they see it's genuine and legitimate, they're going to say, wow, there's something different about that. And we like that, but where friendships are confirmed, that concern, that sense of I'm in this relationship for what I can get out of it, that is a friendship breaker, to be sure. Here's another one that Solomon identifies, and this one shouldn't be too tough anyway. It's gossip. He says, now a perverse person likes to stir up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Elsewhere he says that whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Close friends get separated. And I think it's interesting, both of these passages dealing with gossip, talk, dealing about talking about other people's business with somebody else for no particular purpose, it talks about it doesn't just separate trivial friends or so-so friends. It says close friends get separated by gossip, and it happens all the time. Gossip destroys real friendships, not just the fake ones. And I, you know, my, in my experience, this is not like a statistic or research or anything, but this is just my experience, which is, you know, of, of the destruction that happens because of, of gossip, of just talking too much about other people's business. Honestly, I think maybe a third of it is, is like that intentional one, the one that starts out a perverse person stirring up conflict. I mean, it happens, sometimes people will go, I don't like them, and so I'm going to talk about them to this other person, and I hope it wrecks things. It happens. Sometimes people do that. Maybe they're mean-spirited, maybe they're vengeful, maybe they've been hurt and they're acting out, but that does, that does happen. But in my experience, that's not most of the damage that gossip causes. In my experience, the, the real damage that's caused by gossip is the other two-thirds of the case, where someone says, I'm not trying to stir up trouble. I'm not trying to stir up a conflict. I'm not a perverse person. I just talk too much. 
I never intended to wreck that friendship by talking to this person the way that I did. It never occurred to me that when they talked to me privately, and I shared that over here privately or publicly, that I was setting in motion a chain of events that was going to split what had been up to that point solid friendships and divide people. That was not my intent. That was not my goal. I didn't even see it coming. And here's the painful part. Although it's not intentional, the damage is every bit as real as the person who's doing it on purpose. And that's one of the reasons we have to be so careful about this idea of gossip, because it is so destructive and so dividing of friendships. I was actually going to tell you the story of a friendship of mine that got just wrecked because some gossip was involved. And then I really wanted to tell you the name of the person who did it to me, and I thought that might be a little disingenuous <laughs> to beg you not to gossip, but to be gossiping as I make my point. That part wouldn't seem quite fair. But the problem with gossip, there's, there's the problem with gossip on the talking side. I had a private conversation with this friend. I couldn't keep it to myself, and I had to talk about it over here. That's a problem. But there's also a problem on the listening side of gossip, right? When you're the one that they had their conversation over there, but now they're coming to talk to me about it over here. And the difficulty about that is this. It's really enticing. Being the person talked to, it feels like friendship. It, it feels like I'm on the inside. It feels like I'm being included in something that other people aren't going to know about. It feels like I'm being entrusted with information uh, that people are giving me, and so they must trust me. And it feels like friendship. And so there's that draw to kind of sit there and to listen. And maybe not even necessarily go tell anyone and be on the active talking side of gossip, but to be on the passive receiving listening part of gossip. And can I say that when we do that, we're just as culpable. We're just as guilty in participating in the gossip as if we were saying the words ourselves. So at that point when someone comes to you to talk to you about somebody else and what they're doing, it may feel like friendship because they're trusting you. A, I mean, just, just be clear that when they're talking to that other person, your name's coming up as well because that's who they are, right? And two, step up to your responsibility as a follower of Jesus and someone who values friendships and wants to keep them united rather than divided and to say, I don't think this is a, an appropriate conversation. I, I can't be the one who sits here and listens to this and validates the gossip. And so until you've spoken with them and they know it's okay that you're having this conversation with me, I'm going to ask you not to have that conversation with me. And that's a hard thing to say, and it's a hard thing to hear. But until we're willing to, to recognize gossip for what it is in the way that it just destroys friendships, we're going to keep seeing friendships destroyed. And I want to say, let's not be those people. Let's not be the people who invite gossip into our friendships, and then let's not be the people who are in friendships bringing gossip into it. That's part of the wisdom that Solomon gives us here. He sees another one as well, and it's what I'll call toxic temperaments. There are just some personality traits which, when these find their way into friendships, Solomon says, it's a problem. Do not make friends, he says, with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. 
He kind of sees on one side of things this person who's just easily offended and gets hurt by everything, and he sees this other person over here who just gets mad and angry at everything. And he says, those are friends that are going to create an environment in which you're going to get yourself roped in. You know, those person whose primary love language just happens to be screaming at you. <laughs> who just operates in the gift of conflict. And, and will raise any conversation up to a volume and up to an intensity that it was never designed to have. And Solomon says, beware of that. Be careful about that. Those are people that as you invite them into the inner circles of your life are going to make your life tense and full of conflict. And you'll, you're, it's going to rub off on you. You will be ensnared in that. And then there's the other side of it. This is not just the grid to keep bad people out of your friendships. This is the grid for us to go, what part of that do I bring into friendships? Am I easily offended? Does every little thing become catastrophic? Or on the flip side, am I just an angry person? Does, does my anger response just far exceed the stimulus that caused it? For those of you uh, who are married, that's just like, it's a great barometer for what might be some hidden damages in the relationship. Like if within your marriage you find yourself just getting really mad over things that when you think about it are really pretty minor, that's generally an indicator that there's some deeper work that needs to be done, that there's some unresolved pain and hurt or woundedness that hasn't been addressed yet and it's just finding its way out through the little tiniest things that create this big anger response. And one of the things that Solomon sees that when he looks out and he scans kind of the landscape of friendships, he says, man, when those things are happening, the friendships get divided and the friendships break down. So before it gets there, it's great to be processing in real time the things that are going on. But if you notice yourself being overly angry about things that shouldn't get you there, it may be time to take a look and say, where's the unforgiveness? Where's the hurt? Where's the woundedness? Where are the things that are really going wrong? When, you know, when I get furious because there was too much broccoli on the plate and not enough pasta on the plate, <laughs> as serious as that may be, if I get really angry about that, it's probably not about the broccoli and the pasta. Right? It's probably because at some point I was oversensitive, got my, got my feelings all whipped up into a flurry, but decided I was too big a person to actually say it out loud, so I tucked it down, ignored it, hoped it would go away, and now here I am three weeks later, in all of my wisdom and maturity, freaking out over some broccoli and pasta. It's just time at that point to go back and say, hey, I need to figure out where this is coming from, and I need to figure out how we can work together to be past that, right? That's what Solomon says, that's wise, that keeps friendships going. And one of the things that uh, the next one to consider, here's another one that will destroy friendships over, over a period of time, and it's just the moral influence that friendships can create, right? You know that old saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, it really holds true. Because the people who are closest to us have the ability to, inf to influence us in various directions. Uh, again, Solomon puts it this way, the righteous, they choose their friends carefully. They choose their friends carefully. But the way of the wicked leads them astray. The closest friends are the ones that you invite deepest into your life, and they're the ones that are going to hold sway and influence. 
And so if you get the sense among friends, hey, this is a person who's kind of steering me down a path that I wasn't really intent on going, that might be something at least to evaluate from a wisdom standpoint. Hopefully just as important is the sense that where am I as a friend? What kind of influence do I bring to those that I'm in friendship with? Am I... Am I steering them closer to the Lord? Am I encouraging them to grow in their faith and to grow in their following of Jesus and to love God more? Or maybe am I either actively or passively saying those things don't matter as much. Here are some other things that have more value. That, that's a point where we have to then say, oh, I, I guess I have to evaluate myself as a friend as well. Paul writes in Corinthians, he said, he's actually quoting one of the Greek poets when he says, don't be misled. Bad company corrects good morals. So in view of that, come back to your sense. Stop sinning the way that you're supposed to. He says, if you hang out with the wrong group, you're going to follow them into sin. And he's right. And, and he exhorts the people, just in the same way that Solomon did, be careful. Track your moral progress. And say, how, are my, how might my friends be uh, associating that? I was... Um, this last weekend, I was at a wedding. It was beautiful. Young couple, I've known them for quite a while, love them, they're going to be fine. But I was struck by something. I was struck by the way that the wedding party, the bridesmaids, the groomsmen, I was struck by the way that they interacted, by the way that they talked with one another, conducted themselves around one another, the way they spoke of the bride, the way they spoke of the groom, the way they spoke of their friendships. If I had never met the bride and the groom, if I didn't know them from anybody, I could have looked at this group of friends and the way that they behaved and the way that they interacted and the way that they spoke to one another and said, oh my gosh, these are great people. They are going to be on a great track because I see in and amongst the kinds of friends they've aligned themselves with, a track that's following God and integrating all of what God has for them, for them into all of the areas of their life. They're going to be great because our friendships influence our destiny. Are you being influenced? And just as important, how are you influencing those who are around you in your friendships? So Solomon comes in and he says, those things, will, those things will break friendships. But fortunately, there are friendship builders as well. He doesn't just look out and go, man, it's all terrible out there. Here are all the landmines. He says, here are some things, though, that you can do as a friend to be a good friend, as well as to look for in those who are your friends. And the first one is this. It's that sense of unconditional love. That sense that a friend will do whatever is required to support you and be uh, helpful to you. He writes, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for the time of adversity. That is, the people who love you most will reveal it at the times when you need the greatest. A friend loves at all times. All times means in the middle of the night when you've got an early time at work the next morning. At all times mean when they need help loading a moving truck. At all times means stepping across the boundary of inconvenience and discomfort and saying, I'm going to do whatever needs to be done because I care about you and we're going to get this thing taken care of. That's what loving at all times means. We all want the friend who will bring that to us, right? But there's also that call to be that friend as well. Uh, Solomon recommends that our friends as well, uh, friendships as well are based on dependability. He says, one who has unreliable friends, he soon comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And we long for that, right? We, we, we know intuitively that the truest friend who sticks even most closely, more closely than a brother, more than anyone else is Christ, and we, we yearn for that friendship. But here in this life that we live now, 
amongst flesh and blood human beings here in the room with us who say, I long for that friend that I can count on, that I can depend on, that I can rely on, and who will stick with me closer than a brother no matter what. And we need to be that person as well. And then Solomon says this. I find this one fascinating. He says, one who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. Boy, how do you get to influence the king? How do you, how do you get to be in on good terms with the one who's got the power and the influence and the ability to get things done? How do you get to that guy? And he says, it's, it's by having a pure heart and by having the ability to speak with grace. And you know who's saying that? The king. He sits there on the throne full of power and influence and strength and might, and he says, this is what I'm looking for. When I'm looking for friends, I'm looking for someone who speaks gracefully and graciously, and I'm looking for someone of a pure heart. And friends also, true friends, the kind that Solomon recommends and says this is wisdom, they will give you the hard truth. They will speak the words that are difficult to hear, but which need to be said. In Solomon's words, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. We all know who to go to if we just want to be told that we're fine and we're doing a great job and we're wonderful, right? For some of us, that's the mirror. That's as good as it's ever going to get. <laughs> Others of us have, have friends who will multiply the kisses and tell us what we want to hear. But what many of us lack and what all of us need is the friend who in that moment will look us in the eye and tell us the truth. Friends who will say to me things like my friends have said to me as I tell them about why this is uncomfortable and why I don't like my wife treating me this way or why I didn't like that she did this or I'm upset about that. And instead of saying what I want to hear, which is, yeah, Scott, that must be tough. You deserve way better than that. You, uh, you should, you should go, go about the business of finding some happiness somewhere because you're not getting it there. Why don't you just go find your happiness elsewhere? You deserve that. There have been the moments when that's what I wanted to hear, and by God's grace, and I'm so grateful for the friends who, instead of saying that, looked me in the eye and said, Scott, I was there when before God and everyone, you promised to love her unconditionally. So what does that look like right now in this situation? Scott, you may be hurting, and that's valid, and I'm standing here with you, but you've got to figure out a way to love your, love your wife the way Christ has loved the church. Otherwise, you're violating everything I've ever known you to stand for. So stand up, soldier up, move on, and let's get going. Good friends give you the kick in the butt when that is precisely what you need. And good friends take the initiative to step into your life and to speak what needs to be said. In Romans, uh, Paul is actually talking about the way that Jesus took the initiative to form a friendship relationship with us. And he says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was at the point of our greatest hostility towards God, in, in the middle of our sinfulness, that Jesus took the initiative and stepped in and said, I'm going to do something about that. And hopefully we have, some, we have friends that we know that we can call and say, hey, I need some help, would you, would you come help? But the friends that we treasure, and I think the friends that God calls us to be to others, are the friends who don't wait for the SOS or the 911. But they're the friends who go, man, I've been noticing I don't see the joy in your eyes that I used to see. You're, you're, you're not joyful and at peace the way I know, I've known you to be in the past. What can I do about that? How can I pray for you? 
let's go talk about it, let's go eat some broccoli and some pasta and, and all the right proportions and it'll be awesome. The friends who just take the initiative to step in and say, I'm here for you, let's get this thing done. And of course, we know that the ultimate example of all of this is the person of Jesus, right? He took the initiative to come to earth to die on our behalf. His love is unconditional. And yes, he will speak hard truths to us about our own sinfulness and our need to change, but then he'll take the initiative to step in and, and share with us and empower us to do something about that. And the most amazing part of it all is that the all-powerful, eternal God looks down upon us and says, I would like to be your friend, and extends the offer. Like, it seems the height of arrogance to go, okay, God, I'll let you be my friend. And yet sometimes we hesitate with that. I want to just spend a moment praying here to contemplate the power of a God who would befriend us and who would live out for us in our relationship with him all of what it means to be a good friend. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful. Your love takes the initiative to move towards us in an offer of friendship. And God, sometimes we do it well and sometimes we do it really poorly. But we just reaffirm in this morning, God, we want to receive that act of friendship and then let that act of friendship transform us because of your presence in our life. God, we want to pray, would you bring into our lives the friends that do all the things that great friends do? But equally, God, would you show us those areas in our life where we can grow and become better friends to those in whose lives we find ourselves? God, our heart's desire is to be so transformed by your friendship that we reflect it in the friendships that we have. God, would you lead us in, the, in that? Would you teach us how to do that? And by your Holy Spirit, would you empower us to do that? That's our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Scott, for the great message. Friendship is truly important, especially those you can eat broccoli and pasta with. More broccoli for me, though. All right, well, um, if you are new to the church, like I said in the beginning, come meet me at First Connect over by this monitor. And if you need prayer, connect with the prayer team over there. Have a great week. See you next time.